What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of College Hockey Talk. I'm your host, Matt. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And on today's podcast, I am joined by Harvard women's hockey player, Dominique Petrie. But before we get to her interview, I'd just like to ask if you can please follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, at College Hockey Talk. Also, follow our Spotify page and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review. Doing these things helps our podcast grow, helps new people find our platform, and I really appreciate it if you did those things. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate that as well. Now, like I mentioned earlier, our guest today is Dominique Petrie, one of the top players in the ECAC last season, and she's a really good player for Harvard as well, and it was a great conversation with her. Uh, caught, caught up with her, see what she's up to now since the Ivy League season has been canceled. It was just an overall great conversation with her. So let's not waste any more time. Here's the interview with Dominique. Enjoy, everyone. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of College Hockey Talk. On today's podcast, we are joined by Dominique Petrie, who is a member of the Harvard women's hockey team. Dominique, thank you so much for coming on, and how's everything going? Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, going really well, uh, getting ready for the holiday season here. So nice weather outside in Cali right now, sunny, so can't really complain. Yep, it's snowy here in Massachusetts, so I can't really (laughs) relate to that, but I want to start off talking about um, the upcoming college hockey season. The season was obviously canceled this year due to COVID-19. Uh, what are your thoughts on the cancellation and what was your reaction to that news? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously really a bummer that our season was canceled. Um, I think having us, we were eliminated from playoffs just short last year, which obviously was a bummer, but kind of a blessing in disguise in a sense that we got a closure on our season. Um, and I think there was a lot of uncertainty in the summer. And sort of we were optimistic and hopeful. And then when that happened, it obviously was really devastating just because we're not able to like get back together as a group and see each other. So it's basically all going to having been done like via FaceTimes or text message, catching up with people. Um, but I actually been really fortunate that two of my teammates and a couple girls um, on the Harvard softball team have moved out to California and they've been training and skating with me and we're all living together. So Um, that's been really nice in the sense of like a blessing in disguise type of thing. But obviously I think we were all very bummed, super, it's just super unfortunate that we weren't able to compete while all these other schools still are. Um, But I think that's also just lighting a fire underneath us and we're going to come back even hungrier next year. So. Yeah. um, What's your thoughts just looking at some of these other schools getting the chance to play their season and does that, does do you feel like upset about that any sort of way towards the Ivy league or any other administrator because of that news or the cancellation? I mean, I think it's unfortunate. It's very much so out of our hands and there's nothing that us as athletes can do. So we sort of just have to react with the information that we've been given, but I wouldn't say that I'm honestly, I'm glad to see that these other players are being able to like have some of their seasons and get in game environments and game atmospheres, because I know for me, like I miss it a lot. And it's almost been like a full 365 days since like a game's happened, which is so crazy to say, because that's, I've never gone that long without playing. But honestly, I'm glad to see that these players are able to like compete and have seasons, even if they are like adjusted and different with like no fans because of COVID. Um, but it's it's good to see, and for me too, it's nice because I can actually watch some hockey since I can't technically play in it. So, yeah, it's good for the fans as well since the NHL can't get their deal in order to start their season. So it's good that college hockey at least has some games being played every day. Now, I want to talk to you about your quarantine. What's that been like for you, and what have you been doing these past few months to pass the time and stay busy? Yeah, um, I mean, I think very much so at first it was very, all of it was like at home stuff. So at home workouts, um, shooting pucks in your garage, like not really skating much, sort of having that unplugged from the on ice situations, but really been able to um, like almost fall it back in love with the game of when you were a little kid in the summertime, just shooting tons and tons of pucks um, in my garage, which has been really awesome to be. And then Obviously, as California started to open back up, uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to get out back out there and do some skates, work on my skills, do pickups here and there. Um, It's obviously very different just because you're not with a set team and it's sort of like I'm floating around, like jumping in different skates, seeing what people have. Um, But it's also been really nice because I've been able to kind of step back and 
work on like certain aspects and parts of my game that I really feel have developed over these last couple months that might not necessarily have always happened in college just because that's all I get to really focus and work on when I'm out on the ice. Um, but I do sometimes miss like having a nice hard bag practice. Um, but I mean, with the everything and with all that's going on, you kind of just got to make it work with uh, what you're given. So. Yeah. And overall not playing a season this year, how have you been trying to prepare for next season and what does your training look like on a daily basis? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been definitely strength training and doing a lot of individual skill development. Like I said, um, I'll shoot pucks and stick handle four to five times a week as well. And then honestly, for me, it's just been, I've been doing a lot more like mental preparation. So knowing that like, if I can get my mindset right and like focus and create those situations in my head before I go out and play them, that's sort of like how I've been doing it. And then obviously watching um, the bubble hockey in the summer with the NHL was awesome. And then now with college hockey, um, both women's and men's, uh, you've been, I've been able to find a lot of it on TV. So I think that being able to sort of use the mental side of the game has been a real, like sort of a new thing that I've come into contact with through this quarantine. Um, but I'd say my typical day usually looks like uh, I get up in the morning, I go work out, um, I'll go to class from however many hours I have of class that day, and then I'll go and skate and I'll come back um, home. Some days I'll go to class and I've actually picked up coaching. I've had the opportunity to pick up coaching a youth team um, back home, which I never thought is something that I really would get into, but I've like fallen in love with it. It's very different from a coaching perspective. So three times a week I've uh, go out and help assistant coach a team out there at night. So that's sort of what my, I'd say my daily light, like my day is like, but I also say like it does vary day to day because skates are at different times. Classes are at different times. Um, like some days I'll just go down and hang at the beach with my friends for the day. Um, so it does vary, but just making sure to keep in like somewhat of a routine every day during all this craziness has really been helpful for me. Has it been bad to have online classes? Cause I know that's been an adjustment for myself being a college student, but going to Harvard, it's like the big thing is you get to go to learn from some of the best professors in the world in a learning environment where you're face to face is doing on that, doing it online. Has that been an adjustment for yourself? Um, I would say, yeah, it has been a bit of an adjustment. One, like I would say very nice perk of the online school is that I got to like fully make my own schedule and classes were offered at like multiple times throughout the day so that different people in different time zones could make it. Um, and I know like one necessarily like not necessarily a drawback, but one thing that we face being student athletes is like we practice and have lifts in the afternoon when we are on campus and a lot of cool classes with unique professors occur during like the nights and the afternoons that we necessarily can't take. Um, and I was actually able to take a couple really cool classes because they offered them at multiple different times. Um, so I could take them, but I would say that it definitely is a bit of an adjustment in the sense of like, you really have to like lock in and be focused online. Otherwise like your mind wanders and before you know, like the class is done. Um, but I also would say like the professors did a really, really good job of reaching out to the students and like being available for them. And if you couldn't make office hours, like scheduling one-on-one -on -one meetings with them. And I feel like honestly, this past semester, I might've made some of the best connections that I have with professors um, in previous years, just because like I got to know them more on a one-on-one -on -one basis because it sort of was set up more individualized because everyone's schedules were so like fluctuating every day. Um, so definitely an adjustment. I think I'll be excited to get back into a normal classroom setting, but I also think it'll be a little bit odd, like not just having your laptop and actually being in a room with people learning again. So. Yeah, that's going to be an adjustment for everyone, including myself. <laughs> now I want to talk a little bit about next year, going into next year, you're obviously going to be an upperclassman. Uh, what type of leadership do you want to bring to Harvard and what type of leader are you? Are you more of a vocal or lead by example type of player? Um, I mean, I, I like to say that I'm a bit of both. Like I'm definitely someone that's going to hold your, my teammates accountable. Um, but I'm also someone that's like going to show you what I do and like practice what I preach. Like I'm not going to say one thing and do another. Um, so definitely sort of have a bit of a blend of both styles, I would say. And I'd say like a big thing coming in is just showing the underclassmen like 
consistency, like on a day in and day out basis, like um, what the coaches preach, what we want out of our program, what everyone should be bringing to the table. And I know it obviously can get hard and hectic, like with school and training and everything else. And it just days become long, but really sort of just being like a consistent leader on and off the ice that people can come to. And then obviously just help helping to cultivate like our good team culture that we has been instilled from like upperclassmen when I was younger, bringing that down to the next generation. So like the traditions and the culture just continues to build and build throughout the program. Now, what are your goals and expectations for your team once you get back on the ice in 2021 and the 2022 season? Obviously, you guys have some great recruits coming in from both classes, freshmen and next year's freshmen, I guess, as well. So what are your goals and expectations for your team? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the ultimate goal is obviously to win a national championship. And that's what we work towards every year. But I think, honestly, like starting small in the sense of a big thing that I've realized like coming out of this year is like how much fun hockey is and like that's the most important thing that like we all need to remember when we play the sport so sort of making the environment fun for us so that all all the work and everything that happens it doesn't seem like work it's just like we're going out and we're hanging out playing some pickup with our friends even though like it might have structured drills but I think that the more that we can as a team come together and sort of get that chemistry going from an early on. Like we have tons of great, it's probably going to be the best team that I've ever played with just from the upperclassmen down to the incoming, the next incoming freshman, not even our incoming freshman right now, but we've got some great talent. And I think that when the pieces fall together and the chemistry starts clicking in lines, like I think we're going to really have a good, probably three lines, great goaltending um, and all the pieces can come into play. And I think that, We've been a little bit of a sleeper team in the past, but I think that especially not having played this year, we're coming back hungrier. So it's going to be, it's going to be lethal. And I'm really excited to see what we can uh, do and bring to the table. Now I want to transition a little bit. I want to start off talking about the beginning of your hockey career. You're from California. how did you start playing hockey and falling in love with the sport in an area where hockey isn't really that well known? Yeah. So I have, I was born in Northern California um, up by San Jose and I have an older brother and my dad got tickets to a Sharks game one day and he went to the game and fell in love with it. Mike Ritchie got in a fight probably like 10 feet away from him on the glass seats and he was in captivated ever since it. And then me being the like little annoying little sister that I am, I'm over there, whatever, whatever older brother has to do, dad, mom, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to play. So it was a li- that in combination with, um, that was sort of how I got started into skating and then into hockey too. I watched the movie MVP. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Most Valuable Primate. Great movie. You should look it up. It's about a monkey who plays hockey up in Canada and watched it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. He was like skating under players' legs and doing all this stuff. And he used to go around and have his hands on the ice and like skate. And I remember watching that and I wanted to be just like him. So it was a combination of that and my older brother, um, who sort of got me introduced in the game of hockey, and then the rest is really history. Yeah, and did you have a favorite player growing up? Obviously, probably on the Sharks, since that was the first game you went to. Um, actually, my favorite player was Brendan Shanahan. I had like a whole, in my trophy display case, I had a whole shrine devoted to him. So I had like his picture up, pucks, his trading cards, no matter what it was. And I don't even know like how it was. It was just one day I watched him and like I fell in love with him. And then I remember... At one point in his career, he got traded off the Rangers, and I was just a heartbroken little girl. But he was definitely my favorite player um, growing up for many, many years. So The only thing I remember from Brandon Shanahan was he was, like, the player director of discipline, like, a few years ago. And he made those videos of, like, suspensions that players would get, and he always was so serious about it, and I loved watching it. I think like Will Arnett made like a skit about how serious he was about it. Yeah, he was, he, uh, yeah, I remember that was an ongoing joke because he, and apparently he's not like that at all, but it was just like straight to the book T, like no emotions. (laughs) Yeah, I remember watching those videos, so. Yeah, it's like Zidane Charles gets suspended for two games for a board check and then they like go in debt. I don't know. I like watched them as a kid growing up and I don't know who does that now, but it's not the same without Brandon Shanahan doing it. Yeah, for sure. They like break down the clips down to like before when the pass was being received, all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely. Now, did you face any adversity getting noticed uh, by schools because of where you were located? Um, so I actually have a pretty unique story, I would say. So I grew up obviously in California, 
girls hockey was not nearly as big as what it was today. So um, like the club that I'm assistant coaching at, like they aren't, they weren't even around. They weren't even probably a thought when I was growing up, there really was only the Lady Ducks. And when I grew up that I was obviously started in the Bay area and I played on a couple tournament teams with girls here and there, but nothing serious. I would say all of my career, like I grew up playing boys hockey. So it always was, a little bit different in the sense that I, the college coaches necessarily weren't like, they weren't there for um, like a girl playing boys. And I'd say I kind of got a, a little bit of a late start to like my recruiting process compared to other people, just because of that reason that I didn't, it like wasn't really until I went to the first like USA hockey district camp that it was like, Oh dang, like, okay, people are committed at my own age. Like, it was just very bizarre for me. And then that's sort of when the first ball started to get rolling that I was like, Oh, okay. So this like, this is how it works. And at that point, a lot of kids had already been committed and a lot of spots had already been taken, but I was also very fortunate that once um, like colleges were able to see me that I did have different options on the table and that necessarily still wasn't a limiting factor, but I would say that it was very, it was very interesting. Like I remember a couple coaches came out, we had a tournament in Vegas and they were like, I don't think I've ever been to Vegas to like watch, a, like, not even a girls tournament. It was like my one of my boys tournaments. And they were like, I don't think I've ever been to Vegas to like watch hockey before. And this was before the Knights even existed. Um, so I definitely would say they were sort of coming to untraditional locations. But it's been so awesome to see like how much the game has grown, like in California from where when I started to now, where it's like they have the opportunity to stay all the way through college and they can play girls hockey and they don't have to play boys hockey. Um, but it's also good too, to have that like blend of both, um, I think. So it's been, it's been awesome to see that even the younger players like be able to take advantage of the growth of girls hockey in California. Yeah, it's been awesome to see as well, just from a fan perspective. I know Annie Pankowski from Wisconsin, she's from California. She's from California yeah. as well. So uh, just a lot of uh, good players coming from California. It's been, it's been really cool to see the growth, especially in the Southern California area near like San Diego. I know that's been huge growth there as well for the sport. Yeah, massive. Um, I know. So like uh, Annie Pankowski won the rivalry series came out last year. She was um, on that team and it was so cool to see Honda center, like a place where I want to like watch the ducks play growing up, seeing that like packed filled with like little girls and even just like, non-girls like even males as well like getting them to watch the sport to show that like yeah we're a non-traditional market but we can still like hockey is still so big here and everyone like loves it so I mean that was really cool to see and then yeah San Diego's got a good program coming up the ranks as well so I'm excited to see like the future of like girls hockey in California. Yeah, and you got to you got the opportunity to represent your country at the U18 World Championships. Uh, talk about that opportunity to participate in that event and represent your country. Yeah, I mean, I think nothing really. There's like it's hard to even put into words like what it feels like to put that jersey on and like represent your country. Um, and it's obviously not something that you get to do every day, and it's a, an unbelievable honor. And I'm still like I look back on it as some of the best memories that I've made. Um, some of the best relationships and friendships that I've made have come from that, that I still today talk to some of those players like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think obviously the goal growing up, like everyone wants to do that, but actually being able to put that 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old selves dreams of like, and actually make it become a reality is something that's really cool. And I hope that all these girls watching like are able to see that it doesn't matter like where you come from like as long as you work hard enough um what you want will happen and hopefully they too like we're going to continue to see like more and more Cali kids like come through that pipeline yeah and I want to talk to you about your recruiting process and why did you choose Harvard because I know going to an Ivy League school is a bit different than going to some other schools because there's no letter of intention because I know you played for the San Diego Gauls junior team. Uh, just talk about your recruiting process. How did you get noticed by Harvard and what made you want to go there at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, I mean, so obviously we talked a little bit about like growing up playing boys. It was, it was a little bit different. Um, but I think that it was like a culmination of many things. First of all, for me, like I'm very much so an academically driven person. Um, and I find like I enjoy to be challenged in the classroom setting. And for me, 
that was sort of one of the most important things is like at the end of the day, like hockey probably isn't going to be a forever thing that there is going to be something afterwards and the opportunities that an Ivy league, especially Harvard, like creates for you is just unmatched and unobtainable. I think anywhere else. Um, also I had unbelievable like visits there and it was sort of one of always those things. Like when I stepped on the campus, like I could see myself there and there were like little things along the way too, like throughout the recruiting process that, um, like really made a difference for me that I feel like uh, necessarily wasn't always, I wasn't getting that from other schools and they did like extra things that for me made a really big difference. And when it came down to it, it was just the culmination of loving the school, the amazing um, academics as well as athletics um, and knowing that I would be challenged and pushed probably every day. And while it might be hard, like it was going to be the best thing for me. So I think just looking back on it, like, it it was just so many different things as to why like that how I ended up there but I'm so glad I did yeah and uh, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make to college hockey and who helped you the most when it came to that adjustment because we talked to one of your teammates Kristen Del Rivera on the podcast recently a few months ago and she said that a lot of the upperclassmen when she was a freshman really helped her out when it came to that adjustment because it's a very tough thing for some freshmen to handle who helped you the most when it came to that adjustment and what was the toughest adjustment you had to make was it the mental side or more the physicality side of college hockey yeah um I think for me it was probably more the mental like game of college hockey that I was obviously coming in like a lot younger in respective to like some of my peers so I was coming in as a 17 year old and some of the girls in our class were 19 turning 20 that year um not to mention the rest of the NCAA also there I think like the age gap prep was like five five to seven years of the difference so I think for me, it was more so like the mental side. I think growing up playing boys, I was sort of ready, like I was ready for the game side of things, but also just being able to sort of balance everything that happens on a day-to-day basis is really hard. And I definitely would say that the upperclassmen, like sort of, they understood what you were going through and they were definitely able to help. I also think some of my teammates in my class that were in similar classes to I was, and we were going through it together was like real, they really helped me through like the difficult times because they sort of knew what I was going through and they could very much so relate. And we could like rant about emotions together or we could be like, oh, this was an awesome day. Or we were up to like 2 a.m. working on like a problem set assignment. And it's like, they were right there with you by your side and you knew that they were gonna show up like the next day for you and be there for you. Um, and then I also would just say my family, like I'm a very family oriented person. Um, they hold a special place in my life and I'm very close with them, especially my older brother. So definitely being able to like lean into them when I was having troubles and difficulties was awesome for me. Um, But I just think like the support system that like my teammates created as well as my family back home definitely did help me get over some of those obstacles that I did face my freshman year. Yeah. And in your first year, you lost to Colgate in the ECAC playoffs. Uh, Talk about that experience and how to help you prepare for your sophomore year. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously that was an intense series. It went down to three games. We won the first um, and obviously like would have liked to have it back. But I think whenever something doesn't go your way in my life, it's whenever you fail, it's an opportunity to learn something new and adjust and adapt. And quite frankly, the next time we were playing them, I definitely didn't want to lose to them. And it just sort of lets you come out with a better, like a better fire lit, um, underneath you for the next season and when it doesn't go how you want it to go and I think that sort of ties back into this upcoming season with our team about it's not necessarily going to go the way we wanted to go this year but we're going to make the most of what we can next yeah I want to talk a little bit about last season though you made a lot of improvements individually and your team did as well Uh, what was the biggest improvement you made to your game since your freshman year and what did you do during the offseason to make such improvements? And how did it feel to finally get the results on the ice as well? Because that must feel great as a player. Yeah, obviously, like you go through the ebbs and flows of hockey. It's kind of how it comes and goes. Um, I unfortunately had to miss a couple games my freshman year, which like definitely didn't help. But I think the more sort of I just got adjusted and got comfortable, the better it did. Um, also coming home in the offseason and just being able to work on like all the individual skill set that I um you always sort of get to do in the summer was awesome and just sort of also starting I had a coach who talked a lot about um like self-belief and believing in yourself and I think that's the biggest thing is like if you can't believe in yourself who else will so I think sort of knowing that 
I'm able more than able and more than capable to do it is awesome. And then of course, when the results come, like that's great to see, but you always got to keep getting better and improving while you enjoy the journey. So it's not so much about the end result, but about like the steps you take along the way. And you got to play in your first, you got your first ever ECAC quarterfinal series win when your team beat Yale. Uh, describe what that series was like and what was it like to beat your biggest rival in Yale? Yeah. Um, that was a, an intense series, a very long last game to triple overtime. Um, I don't think I've ever played that much hockey in my whole life, but it definitely was emotions were high, but we sort of, we had the belief within ourselves and within our locker room that we have everything we need to go out there and win that game. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a back and forth game of what I remember. Um, and then Becca Gilmore was able to put it home and we all were just ecstatic. We all were exhausted, but we were so ecstatic. We'd played over like, it felt like what, felt like two days of hockey but it was only like five hours um but it was awesome to be and then obviously that got us into um the ECAC quarterfinals which was a great experience just to sort of get to that point and I think a good like building block for us to know that okay we were there last year but like we haven't settled yet like we're going to keep building upon it um moving into this next season how do you stay mentally focused in a three overtime game when you're so physically exhausted? Cause I've always wondered that. Cause as a fan, you're just exhausted watching all these players go back and forth and you just much, you can't imagine how tired you must feel. Yeah. I mean, I think that we sort of had the impression that we were moving a lot faster than we were when we went back and watched it on video. Um, but I think it's just sort of the little things of also like relying on your teammates. Like we would always come off the bench and I know that game, I was playing with uh, Keely Moy and Brooke Jovanovich. And after every shift, like we were like telling each other, oh, that was great. Like, we're just going to keep going. Like, it's going to come, like having that belief within ourselves on our line. And then obviously knowing the other lines as well have that same sort of belief system in themselves. It just sort of generated a, an atmosphere among us that we, it doesn't matter what it is. Like we're coming out with this one. It doesn't, we can be here until 2 a.m., but it doesn't matter to us. Now, being one of the top players on Harvard women's hockey, who's the hardest goal you've ever had to face in college hockey? I've always wondered, especially with the offensive players. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I think being able to go up against someone like Lindsey Reed on a day in and day out basis yeah. definitely prepares you um, <laughs> to face the best of the best in women's hockey because she's so consistent, works so hard. She'll you think you have her beat on a full empty net and somehow she'll get a stick on it. She'll get a pat on it. It doesn't matter what it is. So it's sort of her making you work and practice makes it um, I'd say a bit, a bit easier in the game transitions, but there's definitely been lots of good goaltenders that have come in and out of not only the ECAC, but the other leagues as well. So it's kind of, it's hard to pick just one, I would say, because there's, there's a lot, but I know that when you're up against Miss Reed every day, she's uh, she's not an easy one to crack. So if you can crack her and score on her, you should uh, have some good confidence going into game days. Oh, yeah, definitely. That must really help uh, in practice as well because it improves your skill set as well offensively. Yeah, for sure it does. Now, you also have the experience of playing in the women's bean pot the past two years. Even though you haven't won one yet, uh, what's it like to play in that tournament? Yeah, I mean, so obviously I'm not a Boston kid, so it doesn't hold as close to my heart. But I think just the energy that comes with the atmosphere of the Beanpot is unbelievable. Um, our team obviously got to host it our freshman year. Unfortunately, we lost in overtime that year. But sort of the energy and the excitement that comes with that game and everyone in Boston knowing about the Beanpot and what it is, it was just such a cool atmosphere to be a part of. And I think that I know earlier you talked about like team goals and what we strive for. And I know that that's necessarily might not be the goal for us, but it definitely is another one that's at the top of our list just because it is, it's such a cool thing to win. Um, and you sort of have that ability to say you're the best in Boston, which uh, is pretty cool. Yeah. Being from Boston myself, it's kind of cool because it's our unique thing. Like no other state can say that they have like a state, a state in season college hockey tournament. So I love watching it. And it kind of sucks this year that won't happen for both the men's and women's side. But hopefully next year there will be some good competition and well-rested competition as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I know that it's it's while the teams might not not always meet each other all the time, that it definitely gets pretty heated, at least between us and those hockey East teams when we do play. So. Yeah, you're the only ECAC team that plays those three hockey schools. Do you feel like like the outsider when you go in those tournaments? Um, not really. I think that it's sort of it's all, always fun because obviously you get to play someone outside of your league, and it's a little bit different. Where I feel like those teams sometimes they might have their matchups more down to a T and know who to who to line match up against too. But we're sort of like a fresh, unfamiliar face that they don't really know about. So we're kind of like the the mystery behind the curtain that when they come out it's like okay we're gonna give you the best we got so but it's it's so much fun to be a part of like I just think back to like the our two my two years in the bean pot like it's so much fun it's one of the best the two, best Tuesdays probably of the year that we definitely have yeah definitely now I wanted to ask you what did you take away from last season that you feel like will help you for your next season with Harvard because you've made so many strides your sophomore year yeah, I definitely think just being able to consistently bring like that game that I know is so hard to play against from other teams that my teammates tell me that I bring in practice, like always bringing that to the games to push them, push the other teams to be hard for us to be hard to play against. And then obviously bringing that in practice as well so that my teammates have someone who's also hard to play against. Um, and just sort of, I would just say also like, helping everyone along the way like it's not an individual sport it's a team sport that no matter it doesn't matter what I do as long as we come out with the W in the one column like that's all that matters and I think that um, this time has sort of really allowed a lot of us to sort of have that fire relit underneath us so that when we come back out like we're ready to play and ready to compete um, and win a championship. Now, playing at an Ivy League school, what's your secret for balancing academics in school and uh, hockey? Because that must seem like a challenge because I know as a college student, it's just hard to balance academics on its own. But being an Ivy League student, as well, as well as being a student athlete, that must be even more of a tougher challenge. Yeah, um, that's definitely, I'd say, probably the hardest thing about being a student athlete at Harvard is being able to manage it. Um, but honestly, for me, I think the best thing that comes with it is just structure and consistency that once I have my routine down, like knowing what I have to do, um, and sticking to it is a big thing. And that the more that I can sort of have that set in place system in my life and in the day to day routine, it really allows for greater ease of not having to worry about so much stuff, um, on the outside that when you're in the classroom, you can just focus on the classroom. And when you're at the rink, you can just focus on hockey and being able to sort of have that mindset, I think is one of the, the biggest things that has helped me um, over my last two years. It's definitely gotten easier as I've been able to sort of have that separation of that. What happens on one side of the bridge stays on one side of the bridge and whatever happens on the other stays on the other. Um, and it's something that it takes, I think it definitely takes some time to learn, especially at the beginning, you're, you're hit with so much stuff that you don't even know, like really how to react. So the more that you can just sort of take in the different experiences, like the more it helps over time as, um, like your years go on at Harvard. So. Yeah. And, um, I just, uh, another interesting question I had for you is your number, you wear number 14. What was the reason for picking that number? Cause I know you switched your number, um, during your sophomore year. Yeah. So, um, my brother, uh, growing up, we were able to play on the same team together and me being the annoying little sister, he was number 41. So the closest thing I could get to 41 was 14. Um, and that's just sort of always been like my number growing up ever since, um, and when it came, obviously it wasn't available my freshman year, but when it came back, my sophomore year was something that I sort of was like, yeah, I have to take advantage of this just because like 14 is, it's always been like my number. So that's, that's the only thing that's really to it. Sort of like 14 and 41, their family numbers. So. Yeah. I just found it interesting. Now, another thing I want to ask you about is what's it like to play with Kristen Del Rovere and what she, what has she meant to your team? Cause we had her on the podcast earlier, like I just said, and she's one of the nicest people ever. And she's obviously a fantastic hockey player as well. Yeah. So I'm very, very fortunate. She is like my roommate and one of my best friends at college. Um, just an unbelievable human being. So humble, so kind, always puts others before herself. Um, and I actually was fortunate to be able to play with her for 
half our season last year, which I absolutely loved. And I know that we both love like playing with each other just because so it's so much easier when you're playing with someone um, of similar styles of game and of similar intensities day in and day out that you just push constantly are pushing each other to be the best players that you guys both can be both on and off the ice. Um, and it's just, it's been so awesome. Like I'm so blessed to have had the chance to obviously meet her and be friends with her, but then also be teammates with her, pick her brain on things. She picks my brains on things, sort of bounce ideas off each other. We watch video together um, and just sort of always being able to like learn from each other is something that's been really cool and really fortunate. And I'm excited to like get back with her and like actually have that inhuman interaction with her. So hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. Yeah, and one last hockey question before we get to the non-hockey segment is what's your favorite road arena to play in in the ECAC because there's so many cool barns that are there? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, obviously, like, our home rink is awesome. It's super modern, super cool. Um, another one for me that I do like a lot is uh, Princeton's Hobie Baker rink. There's just so much history that goes into that one, as well as uh, St. Lawrence. That one has so much character with all the wood. Um, so I think after ours, those two would come in a close second. Oh, we're now in the non-hockey segment of the podcast. And my first question is, uh, what music do you like to listen to before a game that fires you up? Uh, EDM, hands down. Nice. nice. I and mean, you have those noise canceling beats with the 8D audio. Who's your go-to artist? Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I to choose from. I know Kygo released a new album a few months ago. That thing slaps. Yeah, love love, I love Kygo. I don't know if Kygo's more of a pregame. I love Sam Felt. He's got some really good uh, songs out and remixes. Um, Tiesto has some good pregame pump-up songs. Yeah, I'm kind of like a little bit all over the place because my, my artists vary as I go along, but I know that our locker room too, like I've got them – we're all listening to big boobies and stuff like that. So oh, yeah. Now I'm more of a Martin Garrix guy. I think he has some good stuff that can fire me up before a game. So that's my personal EDM artist taste. Okay. He's definitely got some good ones. Yeah, definitely. Now, what is your favorite part about Boston? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot. Um, so I think first of all, when we, so when we're at school in January, we're able to like, we call it J term, which basically means we just play hockey and we don't have classes. So we're able to go in and explore a lot of Boston. Um, and I think just over the years, my favorite part has sort of become the North end. Like I love it. The little Italian part, great food there too. Um, but we also, a couple of us live out about a mile off campus and, um, we live right by like Somerville and Porter square. And it's just like a little city that has tons of character um and cool restaurants out there so I love that part and I think that also just Harvard itself like being in Harvard Square like you never know what you're gonna get it's always a crazy rambunctious city um everything's constantly changing and I think just the energy that Boston brings is unmatched so there's a lot that I really like about it um and then obviously like the changing of the seasons like it's lovely to be in 70 degree weather right now but it's also nice to have like the fall, the leaves fall from the tree and change colors throughout the seasons yeah i love the seasons of massachusetts as well but the winters can be a bit brutal and that's tough to get by but once you get, if you can get through it i think it's one of the best places to live I, I'm, I like the harbor i'm also a big fan of the north end as well i haven't been to harvard though in a long time since you have to take a train to get there where i'm from yeah. so that's the i have to go back it's like a nice campus but i think it's closed right now because no one's there yeah, probably is. <laughs> now, another non-question, non-hockey question I have for you is: If you were not playing hockey, what sport would you want to play? Oh, um, well, growing up, I played high school basketball and tennis, and I've been doing some cross training on tennis, like once or twice a week, out with my dad because he played college tennis. So I definitely, I probably say tennis, just because he always tells me that I could have been a really good tennis player if I tried. Um, but basketball is also another fun one. So I definitely say like one of those two, but it's also hard because started playing a lot of like beach volleyball and surfing. So if I grew up like right on the beach, like kind of where I live right now, I definitely think I would have uh, been a big surf bum as well as a beach volleyball player. But I don't know. Those are sort of the sports that I'd say I would play. 
Well, obviously, I'd like to play hockey, but I I don't technically play a sport right now, so I guess I would say hockey. But if I was, but I already I already did play hockey throughout my high school years, so I guess I would say probably baseball, just because that's like my second favorite sport. Now, another question I have for you is, what's your favorite TV show to binge, or what's your what are you watching right now at the moment? I guess. Um. Well, I'm not really watching anything just because I just wrapped up finals, so I knew I couldn't start anything until then. Um, the only show I'm like currently watching is The Bachelorette, <laughs> um, which I'm probably not the best show. Um, but other than that, like what shows I've loved to watch, um, I'm a big fan of like the docu series on Netflixes. So I love like Last Chance You. Um, Cheer was another really cool one. Um, I don't know though. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say. I'd say, like, sort of my go-to staples, like, on our VCR are, like, Law & Order or crime shows, like, CSI, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Favorite show to binge. I'm not a big binger. I usually do movies because when I get – oh, the other one I loved watching that I watch all the time still today um, is Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Oh, that was so, great. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, well. I've watched that, like, three times. Um and I'm like still finding stuff out that I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I find something new every time I learn it. Um, but I'd say that's probably the one show that I could like binge like in a day and like it would never get old to me. Like I could watch it every single day just because he's such a cool human being and awesome to try and like emulate to be like the best athlete to ever like walk the earth arguably. Oh yeah. My favorite part of that documentary was, I don't know what episode it was, but it's like people might say I was like a tyrant, but I, that's because they never won anything and it just it's this way to motivate his teammates to become better and it was just a really cool documentary that was my personal favorite part because you just didn't care about what the oh, outside yeah. said about himself you just wanted to focus on making himself better but also his teammates better as well I think for an athlete that's an interesting lesson to learn yeah it, there was so many interesting things but I know exactly which part like you're referring to if, like he would be in practice and he would like yell at his teammates yeah because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't giving him enough effort so that's one way to motivate him, I guess. Yeah. Now, on the Bachelor side of things, what's your thoughts on Claire leaving? And what's your thoughts on the new Bachelorette? Because that's the only thing I've been, from, at least from my swipe, I don't know what it's sort of, like eavesdropping on the show. Um, what's, yeah, um, what's your thoughts on all that? I was not a Claire fan very much, um, but happy to see that she ended up with um, Dale, I guess, because... I don't know. That was just a weird situation. But the new one, Tasha, I really like. Um, I'm a big Brendan fan. So, like, fingers crossed that it's them two at the end. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't really watched this season of The Bachelorette. I watched last year's Bachelor with Pilot Pete. I like that guy. Everyone hated on him, but I thought he was a pretty decent dude. He just couldn't make a decision. If he could make a decision, he would be definitely a top Bachelor, in my opinion. I didn't watch his season just because uh, – it was after the first couple episodes, everyone was like, like, oh, it's so bad. So I was like, I'm not going to invest in it. But I think this one just being home, I started on a Tuesday night with my friends and then it, the rest sort of, I just got hooked because I was like, I have to know what happens now. So, yeah, I guess the other shows that I've been binging recently because I've been having finals as well is this show called Patriot Act. It's on Netflix. It's like he deep dives in like certain topics going around current events and like has a comedic taste on it. I, I, it's a really interesting show. What's it called? Patriot Act. It's with Hassan Minaj. It's, I don't know if okay. you've seen it before, but it's really funny. It's an interesting show. So no, I, I haven't seen it. Now my next non-hockey question for you is what's your favorite class at Harvard? Oh, um, I think that would be probably a toss-up between two of the courses I took this past semester. I took a course on sleep. Um, that was super, super interesting and super informative. Um, and like my parents joke with me now and they're like, oh, you're the new sleep guru. <laughs> but it's just, it's, I found it absolutely fascinating um, and probably definitely changed my outlook and value on how important sleep is, not only for day-to-day -day function but also like athletic performance and then I took a class also this past summer with an unbelievable professor um professor Summers and he it was the political economy of globalization and it sort of talked about globalization and a lot of like the current events and that's going on in the world and we had simulations with like g20 simulations in the U.S. and a simulation on the U.S. and China trade debate and sort of 
I never really learned about any of these things before. And I just sort of became, I feel like I am much more knowledgeable on a lot of, on a lot of different topics that are going on in the world, especially involving the U S. Um, and that was just a super cool class, not to mention like he brought in uh, some unbelievable guest lectures because his connection list is out the wazoo. So having like the CEO of Facebook, Cheryl Sanders, um, and some of the other uh, presidential advisees come in has just was like so cool to me to be able to like, wow, I'm like sitting here listening to you and like your best friend's my professor. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Did you get to sleep in that sleep class? I'm just curious. Uh, no, but one of our like, pro, like one of our like, we had two big projects throughout the year. And one of them was like, you had to record a sleep journal. So like you had to record your sleep for like, I think it was 30 or 45 days and it like asked you a whole bunch of different questions to like show your sleep patterns and it's like you don't realize like how bad you sleep until you actually record it and write it down and then you're like oh okay I need to like try and sleep more now oh yeah Um, but it was so yeah it was it was a super super fascinating class and like I would recommend it to any like students that are at Harvard plus like the professors and the teaching staff were awesome so now, my last non-hockey question for you is, what's the best beach in California? Obviously, the Atlantic Ocean is better, just a personal preference. But any beach in California, when I get the chance to go there once COVID's over, should I visit? Um, unbiased, because I live there, but Hermosa Beach is like definitely my favorite now. Um, some short seconds, I definitely would say Laguna Beach, Malibu are right up there with it. And then uh, Manhattan Beach, which is our like sister city, um, is right there. But now I love Hermosa Beach. There's always a great energy to it, especially in the summertime, like people rollerblading, biking on the strand, um, people having like parties on the beach, beach volleyball, spike ball, like there's always something going on out there. So I love it. I'm also from here. So it's hard not to love. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would, I would recommend th- those two. And then yeah, Laguna or Malibu is also very, very beautiful. Now, what advice would you give someone trying to pursue D1 hockey? Uh, I think the best advice I could give you is that have fun and keep working hard. Like if you want it bad enough, like you'll work for it. You'll make the sacrifices um, and everything happens for a reason and all the pieces will fall into place. Um, And one coach always told me that like hard work will always pay off. You just don't know when it will pay off. Um, And a lot of times like the path is unpredicted, but as long as you can look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I gave it my all. It's most of the time going to end up the way that you want it to. So. Now um, what should be done to help grow the women's hockey game in your opinion? Yeah. um, I mean, I think that this is sort of obviously an ongoing discussion and debate. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that talked about women's sports. I think one of the best things that we can do for women's sports is just get the first thing that we can do is get more women watching the sport. So even just looking at our own Harvard program, I think that something that we've talked about and should set out to achieve with our marketing team is getting more like local youth girls teams, like out to our game and falling in love with the game of youth hockey, bringing hockey out to the different types of communities, maybe those in particular that don't necessarily have hockey and showing them, Hey, like this is a sport that we love and we fell in love with. Like, we think that you guys probably will too and bringing hockey to everyone and showing them that anyone and everyone can play hockey. It doesn't matter um, your race. It doesn't matter your gender that and I think the more that we can get women supporting women and little girls watching us and seeing that, Oh my God, like this is what I want to be one day when I grow up will be in is the first thing that I think will be a very important step to like, continue to grow the game because we've obviously taken massive strides forward but um and to once you put like a stick in a little girl's hands like 99 percent of the time they're gonna fall in love with it just like everyone that is playing right now so yeah i couldn't agree with you more and i hope this platform getting women athletes on to talk about their experiences will help grow the sport in some little way i know we're only a little bit of a smaller platform but i just hope that this platform can play a small role in that Yeah, definitely. And the more I think that young girls are able to listen to this and hear all the different stories, that definitely is going to help them too. And probably they'll start falling in love with it because then they can get to know some of like all the different women's players across all the different leagues um, and like different countries too, even, and show that everyone can play hockey. So. 
Now, speaking of the podcast, what should I do better as an interviewer to improve and make this podcast better? Oh, um, I don't know. This is the first ever podcast I've done. So I, I don't know. I guess one thing I could say is like feed off like questions and responses that like we say sometimes um, like dive into like those topics more to an extent. Okay. I'll definitely take that. I appreciate the response. I'm trying to become a better interviewer myself to just make the podcast better. So I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, no problem. Now, do you have any shout outs you like to make before we let you go? Uh, no, I don't know. Shout out to my family, I guess. My teammates. Can't wait to see you guys soon. Miss everyone. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Dominique. I'm sorry you can't see me right now. It just went dark like in 30 <laughs> minutes. Okay. I look like I'm on like one of those news things where like it's a yeah. The sun, the sun, when the sun sets at 4:15, it goes black instantly. Apparently, it's the same out here. So yeah. So I apologize you can't see me. But <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. It really means a lot to myself and to the podcast as well. I really appreciate it, and I wish you all the best for this upcoming season that you have, and have a great holiday as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye. Just want to say thank you so much to Dominique for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and it meant a lot to me, and I wish her all the best uh, for this upcoming season with Harvard, and I hope she gets a season because she deserves it. She's one of the best players in women's hockey, and it was just great having the chance to talk with her. I really appreciate it. Uh, we have another interview released today as well. It's with Sam Isbell from Mercyhurst. If you want to check that out, that is available on all of our platforms. And that'll wrap up today's podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. I'll see you guys next time with another great interview. But until then, take care, everyone, and have a great day. Bye. Had a tour close today. Now my brain's dead weight like that. Lost my keys, but don't give up. Tonight, I can sleep where you sleep From the cab up the stairs, put the keys in the lock They'll be far through your door Your lips 